John Lubbock once remarked that it is important not so much that every child should be taught as that every child should be given the wish to learn. I've never met a teacher who would disagree with that, but here's the rub. How do we go about instilling such a desire for learning? When educators get together and talk about motivation, it is their most frequent question. How can we encourage internal drive instead of depending on external stimulation? The same problem of internal versus external motivation exists for supervisors of all kinds, of course, since we cannot be with people all the time using incentives, threats, pep talks, and all the other tricks in our bag. The ultimate test of our motivational power will be how well they perform when we are not there. Mrs. Cherry Henricks, who is a highly successful entrepreneur and interior designer and whose firm has outgrown its offices three times in the past three years, helped give me the answer to this question. When I asked her if she thought motivation had to come from other people or if it could be generated from within, she replied, It takes both, obviously, and I'm terribly dependent on my partners for inspiration, but I think I can motivate myself quite well with a very simple technique. By setting goals for myself, if I write them down and get them very, very specific, that really gets me going. The more I thought about Henrik's comment, the more I realized the wisdom in what she said. Internal drive can best be developed by encouraging people to probe within themselves until they find specific goals and dreams. Then we help them stay with their self-prescribed plan. Some people have the idea that the best motivators are the people with the most glib and forceful tongues, who, by the power of their personalities, are able to get lots of followers behind their projects. Such leaders go at their work as if subordinates had to be pushed and persuaded and cajoled to climb aboard their bandwagons. But the smart motivator knows that people have certain beliefs and causes to which they are already committed and certain directions in which they are already going. In other words, they have their own bandwagons. What I'm recommending here is quite opposite from the foolish remark, you've got to plant your idea in people's heads, then convince them that it was their idea in the first place. That is the sort of manipulation that eventually backfires, and it should be avoided at all costs. On the other hand, if we fish long enough, we will find good ideas coming from other people which we can legitimately support. So rule number five for bringing out the best in people is this. If they are going anywhere near where you want to go, climb on other people's bandwagons. When one looks at certain famous families, it is puzzling that some children turn out to be so much more successful than others. Why, for instance, did Joseph Kennedy's sons excel while Franklin Roosevelt's did not? Certainly, FDR had as good an understanding of power and how to use it as did Joe Kennedy. Part of the answer to that riddle may be found in Franklin Roosevelt Jr.'s remark that an appointment was always required if he wanted to see his father. One day, when the boy had a pressing problem, FDR listened to his son but never stopped working at his desk. When the boy stopped talking, FDR said absently, Glad you could drop by. 
and the interview was over. Contrast that with Joe Kennedy's ferocious interest in his children's lives. For all his shortcomings, Kennedy's loyalty to his children was absolute. My business is my family and my family is my business, he said. John F. Kennedy once told Steve Smith, You know, when I was just trying out for the freshman team for some of those swimming meets, my dad was always there. He was always there. He did the same for all the kids. A father who will encourage his children in pursuing as many of their goals as possible and who will get on his kids' bandwagons in such a fashion can make a crucial difference in their lives.